Hi, and welcome. I'm Jim Fries, and this is The Conversation, a podcast airing viewpoints on the impact of artificial intelligence on business and society. The Conversation is presented by Interactions, a conversational AI company that builds intelligent virtual assistants capable of human-level communication and understanding. In this episode, we'll discuss voice interface design with Susa Jensen, a senior voice designer at Adobe. She's interested in how voice technology is transforming human-machine interaction and how businesses can smartly design voice interfaces to result in intuitive, effective solutions. Susa, thanks for joining us and welcome. Thanks for having me, Jim. Thank you. It's always wonderful to talk to somebody else who's passionate about a voice as an interface. So I, I'm interested in hearing about how you got interested in voice initially. It all started three, four years ago. I think I was working as an interaction designer at a design agency, and we had a company come in and ask us to give our point of view on voice design. And at that point, I had dabbled with both industrial design, sort of the physical design and digital design, on-screen design. Right at the same time, Amazon had just launched the first Echo devices in 2015, I spent a year working on that where we build out a voice strategy for them. I thought it was interesting thinking about use cases in a car or use cases at home where you weren't tied to a screen. So I was like, this is great. But it was also, we're having trouble with the design process because we're so used to building our wireframes and going through our design reviews. So a year after I worked on that, I um, met the founder of SaySpring, Mark Webster, And they were building out prototyping tools for voice interfaces. So he was sort of telling me about his startup and what they're trying to do. And I was like, oh, this is great. I just spent a year missing tools for designing voice interfaces. And I was sort of convinced that it was going to be a big thing. It wasn't just going to be a phase. Within a week, I ended up quitting my job and joining the team at SaySpring building out prototyping tools for voice interfaces. And my curiosity kind of just grew, sort of um, seeing the potential and seeing the impact that voice interfaces could have on their customers, but also sort of facing the challenges of figuring out how do we do this now and, and, and how do we prototype and design this as teams. At SaySpring, we kind of grew into getting acquired by Adobe and now building out um, voice uh, prototyping tools at Adobe, it's, it's, it's sort of grown more and more. And it's great to see the community embrace embrace it in the same way that, that we kind of were a small team embracing it in our design studio um, four years ago. It's interesting to hear you talk about it. You know, when we deal with our customers and talk about our passion about voice and why we think voice is so important, you know, we we like to say things like, and and it's true, you know, humans can speak three to four times as fast as they can type. And the example you just gave is one we often cite. You know, people are in a car, they, they can't be interfacing with a screen design. Voice is just an incredibly efficient and seamless way to not only interact with other humans, but machines as well. And totally agree with you that voice is growing in importance. At least we think that, but I don't think everybody thinks that. You know, most people still think about design primarily from a screen design perspective. What, what do you think needs to happen to encourage screen to voice shift in thinking among designers in particular? It's a good question. I think as people, we're very habitual in our daily tasks and a lot of our, our digital interaction is, is very habitual. We do one thing and then it's a lot of effort you have to put into shift a habit, a way of doing things, I think we really can see, and I think what we've seen with smart speakers is that when you have 
any sort of little moment where it becomes slightly easier, more pleasant and more convenient, I think that's when we're going to gain um, traction for users. And I think by inviting more people into designing these and, and, and sort of like seeing how it would work in these small use cases, I'm hoping that we can build better experiences with boys and really take advantage of what it is good for, like freeing your eyes up and, and, and freeing your hands away from your device and sort of like giving a little more freedom um, to, to focus on other things and don't necessarily be tied with your eyes locked to a screen or with your hands locked to your keyboard. Do, do you think business leaders need convincing about the importance of voice uh, as an interface? No, I don't think so. I think from my experience and who I've talked to, it's not a matter of, is this going to be a thing? It's more a matter of, how are we going to do this? Yeah, and you, and you tied it, I think, to uh, something that we see in our business, too, which is it's all about the customer experience and the customer journey. And voice is such a seamless way to interface and a natural way to interface and a logical way to interface. So it's part of the reason that, you know, we see it in our business, but we, we have a very strong point of view about the growing importance of voice. Yeah, and I think also you, you hit a good point earlier, Jim, when you sort of mentioned that sort of you reach users in a different way, but also you are able to reach different kinds of users, like mobile impaired users, I've seen benefit a lot from voice as an interface and just audible interfaces in general. Children that don't necessarily read or haven't learned to read yet, they can interact with like TVs, for example, using their voice. But also if you have cognitive disabilities or visual impairment and don't necessarily see screen as the best option for you to get information at both voice as an input, but also speech and audio as an output are great channels for this. The more these surfaces and technologies develop, the, the better we're making it and we're able to reach a, a larger audience in that way. I'd love to hear about a day in the, the life of a voice interface designer at Adobe. I mean, how do you go about designing an experience from the initial idea to execution? Good question. So I use XD to design all of the the voice design that we that we put out. My work overlaps with the other designers' work on my team, who primarily work with screen-based design, and all our voice features are still screen-based. I sort of have to adapt to their process of working, map out wireframes and flows, talk to engineers about what our requirements are, and then I try to build prototypes where I talk as much as possible to them early on, because even though I have dialogue written out, it's different when I write it out as opposed to when the system talks it back. So I sort of try to get to listen to my voice prototype as early on as I can, and then go through design reviews, and then hand it off to developers once we've gone through that. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a day in the life. It sounds like a day and maybe the quarter or a year. <laughs> it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, but I think also um, we try to be sort of as iterative as possible uh, in our design, try to sort of bring a lot of people into our design process. And I've found great success in building prototypes fast and then sharing them out fast. The big pillar of XD is design, prototype, and share as frequently as you can because you get feedback on your concept, you develop it. I'm able to invite my engineers 
into my design process as well as me being part of their development process. It's interesting to hear you talk about an iterative process because that's exactly how we describe what we do with our customers when we build a intelligent virtual assistant for them. It's very much an iterative process. Switching topics a little bit, this past spring you spoke at an event in New York about gender representation and voice and visual design tools. Could you share some background on the issue of unconscious bias in voice experience and how you became more cognizant of it? Yeah, absolutely. I spoke at the Noun Project. They have a series of workshops called Redefining Women. They do a series of different talks. This one that I participated in was about the female representation in executive iconography. The Noun Project is a source for free icons. One of the problems they're trying to tackle was when you search for CEO, often the icon that comes up is a more masculine or male representation of somebody in a suit with which doesn't necessarily reflect the reality of, of, of what a CEO is. And they asked me to come in and talk a little bit about gender representation and voice, which is something that we talk a lot about in our team. And, and also, I think what's been surfaced is that we have technology that sort of have human characteristics to it. Like, we really quickly want to define if a voice is a male or a female and we want to associate it with something that's familiar. What we try to do in our team, we think of it as an interface and and then try very hard not to project some of the stereotypes onto it that's easy to jump to, especially around this dilemma of a female assistant, that being the default representation of a voice interface in Alexa. We try to sort of separate it a little bit and see like, how can we surface multiple voices and and not necessarily have it be stereotyped into this. So one of the things that we do at at Adobe, we use Poly. That's our text-to-speech service that surfaces multiple voices, and we don't surface the gender in the drop-down menu when the user selects them. They just have the default names that's assigned to it. Um, But I think one of the things I try to advocate for is that We need to invite more people into having opinions about what this is because I think we're far from determined what's right and what's wrong. And I actually don't think there is a right or a wrong thing, but I do think that there are a lot of things we can do better. And I think it's going to be better if we invite people with different backgrounds into the process of designing what this looks like. It's it's interesting because it sounds like that um, it, you're almost advocating that, that design plays a critical role in addressing this issue. Very much because I think we're very quick to jump to conclusion when it comes to there's a lot of bias in our technologies and especially as our technologies becomes more intelligent. Uh, We've seen that and we're very quick to sort of put the blame on the engineers. And there's a huge problem in engineering having a a lack of people of color representation, but also female representation. And I think we have to remind ourselves that a lot of these decisions are just as much design decisions as they are engineering decisions, especially with voice. One good example was Um, about Alexa being sort of responding to when you were flirting with her, she was responding to it with a blushing comment. And then they later went on and changed that. But I think that's as much a design decision. You design your responses. That's something that you can go in and design before you hand it off to development. And I think the good thing about design is you can invite people and you can have conversation about what is it actually we want our interface to respond. I think also it's important for us, as as we sort of build teams to work with these technologies, 
um, having it be a default that we sort of look around the room and it's like, hey, do, who do we have in the room here? Are, are we all similar? Are we all from similar backgrounds? Like, is there, should we put a little more effort into actually going out and, and bringing some other folks in? I think I think that's that's um, that's more of a humane thing than anything else. To that we need to learn and we need to really work a lot harder on, on solving for this. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, another issue that's kind of top of mind, I think, in voice design, especially as AI-powered voices get more and more human-like, is transparency and addressing the uncanny valley, the notion that technology is making things so human-like sometimes that there are some implications to that. Do you think voice interface designers can play a role in taking some of the mystery out of human-machine interactions, especially those that are so human-like, almost to the point of creating in the mind of some people like a creepy factor? How do you deal with that from a design perspective? Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting design opportunity or design challenge. I think sort of what we've seen with chatbots is is this um, blurry line with, am I talking to a person? Am I talking to a chatbot now? And and it's so good. And, and you still get sort of emotional reactions, even though it is a chatbot that you're talking to. In my opinion, it's, it should be transparent. Who are you talking to? Are you talking to a chatbot um, that's put together? Or are you talking to a human? thinking about an experience where um, your digital experience is a combination of voice, your screen-based design, uh, your audio design, other elements of that, and then what stand do you take on transparency in this case? What does that look like for uh, voice design? What does, does that look like for chatbots and for AI? Um, I, I think it's super interesting. Totally agree with you. Our view at Interactions is that uh, you absolutely want to be transparent. So we advise our customers, you know, the last thing you want to do is to try to trick your customers into think, thinking that they're talking to a human. And and it's interesting because we have call recordings of, of, of our customers' customers calling in and and uh, you, they think they're interacting with a human. And um, they even ask sometimes, is, is this a human I'm talking to? And, and you know, we, we just think that the, the transparency, like, I can help you. I'm, I'm a virtual assistant. You can speak in your own natural language. We think that kind of transparency is, is really important and something that I think, um, you know, brands would want to manifest and just in terms of dealing with their customers. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear you talking about transparency. It's, a, it's an interesting point. Yeah, and I think I think also as as just as human beings, like nobody likes to be um, led by or or sort of led to believe one thing was reality and then all of a sudden discover that that was not the case. I think sort of with chatbot, but also we've we've experienced that for many years with emails. Uh, sort of like, ooh, who's emailing me now? And the minute you get a scam that sort of slips by your your scam folder, your spam folder. You, you feel a little deceived and it's not a pleasant feeling. And especially um, if this comes from a, a company or, or similar, it, it's, it's, it sort of leads to mistrust and it's, it's not a pleasant experience for your users. So, yeah. Totally agree. So you're obviously, as, as I've got one more question for you, and given your passion about voice interface design, if you think out five, ten years from now into the future, what's your kind of dream for voice interface design? I hope, you know, I actually had a conversation with my team about this not so long ago. My dream is that a lot 
smaller interactions, like these little little daily tasks that we do, will be done with voice, but it won't necessarily be a person or an assistant we talk to, but it will be a little more esoteric, like um, I will just do these small interactions with my voice. And my hope is that by doing that, we limit the screen time that we're using right now, because I do believe that we spend way too much time looking at our screens. So I'm hoping that voice can kind of like take over some of the some of the interactions that we use our screen for. And it would be a little seamless. So it almost, I think the beauty of screen design is that right now is that a lot of times we don't think necessarily about the things that we do. And I'm hoping that the same thing would go for voice, that it will almost be invisible and a little seamless in our daily tasks. And I also hope that we'll put some processes in to also to get to define what privacy will look like for voice and, and, and how we solve for this, because I think that's a big factor that we still need to put a lot of work into. Um, how do we sort of make sure that our data stays protected, but also that it's a safe interface and a safe way of interacting with our, with our uh, digital tools? That's a great vision. I hope you're right. Uh, it's a it's a fantastic vision for for, for voice interface design. Um, I Susa, this has been fantastic. I've really enjoyed the conversation, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate your willingness to uh, be one of the episodes of our podcast. Thank you, Jim. It was my pleasure. Once again, thank you. It's been fantastic. On the next episode of the conversation, join us for a discussion on how AI and voice technology is impacting the entertainment industry and what companies can learn from voiceover experts when casting the voice of their brand. This episode of the conversation was recorded at the PRX Podcast Garage in Alston, Massachusetts, and produced by Interactions, a Massachusetts-based conversational AI company. That brings us to the end of today's conversation. I'm Jim Freeze signing off. We'll see you next time. 